My name is Steve Gould. I'm a professional drummer and an amateur thinker. My favorite part of life is learning, which is great because there's so much to learn. That's what this show is for. Thinking out loud, discussing ideas, sharing conversation, listening, growing, and hopefully learning something. The Steve Gould Show. All right, here we go. First episode. Episode one of the Steve Gould Show. I'm stoked. I'm having fun already. I love this medium. The whole concept of podcasts is so cool to me. The way it combines modern technology and the information age with real people and their personal expertise and passion for things they really care about and areas they have life experience in. I think podcasting promotes community. Community built around sharing ideas and asking each other questions. The internet is certainly rife with people speaking and not listening. I myself am a white man, and that particular demographic has quite a habit of yelling into the void with unwarranted confidence. I certainly do not want to be part of that tradition, but in a cool way, the podcast world itself kind of bypasses that tradition. Facebook and Twitter and social media in general seem to promote echo chambers and groupthink. Podcasts, on the other hand, it seems to me, create discussion, dialogue, learning from each other. That stuff really excites me. And I want to do a lot of that on the show. Have some guests, have some different segments to talk about different topics. Music being a big one. That's my primary area of experience professionally and as far as my passion is concerned. But I also have spent a lot of time thinking about and studying theology more recently, psychology, philosophy, technological development. I want to talk about all that stuff. For this first episode, though, I think I'm going to keep things pretty simple and just share a little bit about how 2020 went for me. 2020 was a bitch for all of us, right? I mean, the pandemic, racial tensions in the United States, political upheaval uh, all over the world, definitely a a difficult year. For me personally, a handful of major life developments happened in 2020. And I suppose those life developments give context as to who I am. It's context that I want to share with everyone. Anybody listening to this who knows me maybe already knows some of these details. But if you don't know me, here's something to know going forward. I used to work at a church. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in American evangelical Christianity. It's where I started playing drums, actually. The first time I ever played drums was in my youth group in seventh grade. I lived in Minnesota at that time. I was born in California in Los Angeles, and then uh, we moved to Minnesota when I was 10. And that's where I picked up the drum set. Church was the place that I did all of my playing. It was probably age 13, 14 that I started playing in the main service, the adult service, not just in youth group. And then 
from there, I, you know, I became a professional drummer. That's what I do for a living. And because of my church ties and my professional credentials, in 2015, I ended up getting offered a lead music director position at a megachurch in Phoenix. Took that job in 2015 and got fired last year in 2020, in July. It's only the second time in my life that I've been fired, period. There was a cover band I was in in 2002. I got fired from unceremoniously after the New Year's Eve gig because the leader of the cover band and I had a disagreement. Felt good to get fired for a reason that wasn't just a musical inadequacy or something. But it certainly was an uncomfortable sensation. And then, you know what, in the summer of 2019, I got hired last minute to do a studio recording for a guy, like a a prominent worship leader guy in California. And I was there, we did two days of recording, and then they asked me to not come back for the third day because there were a lot of weird vibes in the session. I think they pinned some of that on me. Okay, that's fine. I've been very proud of my career up to this point as a drummer. So those two instances of getting fired was unfortunate, but it happens. However, getting fired from the church was a different creature, mostly because of how much of my worldview is tied up in that stuff. The combination of worldview and even in the midst of a pandemic, like losing a salary and health insurance, it was a, it was a big deal. So any of you who know me as church lead music director, staff member guy, I'm not that guy anymore. And I got to say, the whole time that I that I worked for the church, I really enjoyed the people that I worked with and I really enjoyed my job description and what they had me doing. But I never felt at home as a church staff member. That's not really my DNA. So in, in that sense, it's kind of nice to not have that job anymore and all of the cultural baggage that comes along with that. But it certainly left me in a in a weird headspace. Here's the thing. The reason that I got fired wasn't because of some sort of professional inadequacy, but because I I got divorced. Or I was in the process of a divorce. So that's the other thing that happened in 2020 that was pretty significant. January of that year, a little over a year ago from, from right now, my wife and I separated. My wife at the time. Her name is Kristen Gould. We met in college in St. Paul, Minnesota. We got married as soon as I graduated. She still had one more semester. And yeah, we were both 22 years old. Didn't really know each other. Didn't know ourselves. We proceeded to build a life together for the next 18 years. We were married for 18 years. And listen, you're not married for 18 years unless there's good things involved with that. And I'm, I'm proud of my marriage to Kristen Gould. We had two beautiful daughters together. She's a wonderful mother. We built a life together. And my transition from teenager into adult, the whole thing was with Kristen Gould at my side. And I'm thankful for that. What does the future look like? And should we stay in a marriage relationship going into the next 20 years just because we have been married up to this point? Those are questions that I was wrestling with for a long time prior to our separation. Uh, When we separated in January, the church asked us to do some counseling, 
It's not the first time we had done marital counseling, marital therapy. I think the church asked us to do that in an effort to save the marriage because I know churches really believe in saving marriages. It didn't work. That's okay. That's okay with me. And at this point, that's okay with my ex-wife. I think the best version of each of us is now on the other side of, of having been divorced. But it wasn't okay with the church, and they fired me for that. Which, uh, I'm not sure what to say about it exactly, other than it left me with a lot of feelings. We separated in January, and I decided to spend the next few months still living at home in the extra bedroom just to make sure my daughters knew and could feel that just because their mom and I weren't going to be married anymore doesn't mean I'm not their dad still. I really enjoyed all the family time that we were able to spend together during those first few months of the pandemic. But alongside that was also the gradual spreading of information about our separation. And within the world that I'm from, like within the evangelical community, divorce is really frowned on. Marital separation is really, really concerning. And I had a lot of people from my past reaching out to me to tell me what they didn't like about that. It was A lot of it was masked in the form of encouragement. Like, oh, I heard you're going through something hard. Just wanted to call you and encourage you. But really it was, they wanted to tell me that they don't like it. They wanted to tell me about how my separation made them feel. And early on in my decision-making process about our separation, I thought to myself, I I need to do this in a way that minimizes hurt and damage in the people around me. Obviously, I care a great deal about both my daughters and their mother. Other layers of close relationship circles like my parents and my ex-wife's family, close friends of mine, but then the other people in my life that are further out in the relationship circles. uh, I I care about them. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to create pain and in everyone. And I knew that a separation and divorce between Kristen and I would, would cause a lot of pain. So I told myself early on that one way to help minimize that pain is to allow everyone to speak, like allow everyone to speak their mind. Obviously I have the prerogative to just say, Hey, this is none of your business. Thanks, but no thanks for your feedback. And yet that didn't feel, it didn't feel right to me. That didn't feel necessary. What happened was almost daily, two hour long phone conversations with people in my past and present close friends, acquaintances. So while the pandemic was first setting in and the quarantine was happening, I was getting some good family time at home, but I was also having almost every evening, really emotionally taxing conversations with people who wanted to tell me that they're unhappy with my decision. I'm not sharing that information to congratulate myself, but it's certainly like it started to take a toll on me that I probably should have expected, but didn't expect. I started noticing how hard it was to have these kinds of, like like I was mentally and emotionally very tired. Uh, I, I know a lot of the population was mentally and emotionally tired just during the quarantine itself. On top of that, I was dealing with a lot of these really personal conversations with close relationships and having to kind of 
defend myself or at, at the very least explain myself. That was through March and April and into May. And it was about mid-May that it felt no longer necessary for me to live in the home. You know, after four months of being separated, it seemed like the right time for me to actually move out. I began renting a room from a woman, an older woman. Let's call her Felicia. Probably mid-70s. She definitely looked quite old. I'm just guessing on the mid-70s thing. Felicia had a couple of, shall we say, personality quirks. Like there were a lot more pets in the home than she actually told me were there initially. That's that's all right. I like, <laughs> I like animals. But that's like a weird thing to like surprise pets. Like, oh, there's an... That's another cat that I don't recognize. Um, I lived there for two weeks, and then we had a more serious run-in about whether or not I was allowed to open my window in my room, in the room I was renting. Felicia owned, uh, maybe still owns, I don't know, uh, a large-ish home in the northwest suburbs of Phoenix. And she had three tenants, myself and two other men who were both pretty old. So that was kind of a, a weird vibe in and of itself. I'm 40. I actually turned 40 that month. I turned 40 years old in May of last year. And I'm living in a home with three other people who are 30 plus years older than me. It was a strange sensation. But then uh, it c- comes to my attention that she's very upset at me for opening my window at night in my room that I'm renting. And that conversation and subsequent conversations led me to like wariness for my own safety. I mean, Felicia was a slight individual. I didn't feel physically threatened. But her emotional state, her mental state, the degree of anger, like the, she got so upset about me opening my window. And I thought to myself, ooh, this is not a stable individual. I think maybe I'm not going to live here anymore. So I had already paid an entire month's rent for June and I just like abruptly left. It was a weird feeling. 40 years old, packed all of my stuff into just my car. I had a friend who let me stay at his place for a little while until I found another spot to rent. I found a room on Craigslist from a guy who I'll just refer to as Tom. Tom was a black man from Minneapolis like me, looked like mid-50s, maybe late 50s. And Tom lived in a very different part of town than the northwest suburbs. Tom's house was in a very low-income, central, high-crime part of town. Quite a diverse landscape of individuals, a lot of homeless. I mean, we were living in a house, a two-bedroom apartment that I'm renting, one room that Tom owned. But there were quite a few homeless encampments and just general presence of unease. A lot of, like, just people yelling. Uh, It's not something that I'm accustomed to. As a white guy, I've been afforded a lot of privileges. And one of them is where I've lived, what part of town I've lived. No matter what town it is, I've always lived in a part of town that didn't involve any of the things that I saw in Tom's neighborhood. And it was really good to live there. It was really good to experience actual life, not just drive through the neighborhood every now and then, but experience actual life in that part of town. Tom himself had lost his job during the initial phase of the quarantine, the shutdown. He was a travel agent. He was really, he was diligently looking for more work. 
he wasn't finding it. And he's got a lot of health, health problems too. And his, uh, medical insurance was not showing up for him. And then the neighborhood that we lived in together was unsettling. I brought my daughters to Felicia's house when I first moved in so that they could see where I was living. I never brought them to Tom's place. I wasn't concerned for their safety. It's more like I didn't want my girls to see that kind of condition that I was living in. But what I'm saying is that it was good for me to see it. There's a typical political trope about why people have money and why other people don't. seems like society has a lot of social structures that work for some of us and against others. And I was able to see that in a new way. So that was an interesting few months of living with Tom. That was right when I got fired as well. And also that same month, my car died. (laughs) Uh, The car that my dad used to drive, that my mom gave me when my dad passed away five years ago, four and a half years ago when my dad died, suddenly she gave me his car I drove it around with such pride. First of all, the car was in impeccable shape because my dad didn't drive too much. It was a 2009 Nissan Altima. There weren't a lot of miles on it, and he really babied his vehicles. He always took it through the car wash. He always vacuumed it out. I myself started doing the same thing, just kind of in homage to him. Also, once I began regularly vacuuming and cleaning my car, I noticed how nice that feels to have a clean car. I was really proud of that car. I really enjoyed driving it. And then the transmission went out. And having the transmission replaced was costly. Not worth the price of the car. I'll tell you what. Losing my job, moving out of my house, and then losing my car is quite an ordeal emotionally. I cried so much about losing that car. I think partially because it represented my dad and partially because it was just a, like the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, for me emotionally. That's where the year takes a bit of a turn for the positive. In the summer of last year, I started spending a lot more time with a woman that I had met while touring in Sarah Bareilles' band back in 2013. Her name is Misty Boyce. She lives in Los Angeles, and now I'm spending a lot of time in Los Angeles because she and I are spending a lot of time together. She's such a wonderful person, I'm just overjoyed. But overall, 2020, I think, is going to live as an absolute paradigm shift in my existence. Ending an 18-year marriage, getting fired from my church job, and having the music industry completely shut down. I mean, I'll tell you what, I I was not surprised when the church fired me. I know how churches feel about divorce. It might be a archaic perspective on their part, but it's not a hidden thing. Like, I knew what was going to happen when I got divorced. It's not a decision that I made lightly, and I understood the consequences. I didn't know when we separated that the pandemic was coming and it was going to shut down my entire industry. So I spent the second half of last year 
scrambling for work. I teach a lot of drum lessons. I always have. The way the pandemic normalized Zoom and FaceTime and Skype as a method of communication, even for private music lessons, that was really helpful. These days I'm teaching a lot of drum lessons privately over the internet, which then broadens my my sample size of who could be my drum student. In my 20s, I, I was teaching 50 students a week, but they all lived within driving distance of my studio in Minneapolis. And these days I'm teaching not quite that much, but a lot. And a bunch of, bunch of the students live not even in the United States, let alone in Phoenix or Los Angeles. At this point, that's turned into a significant, like a life-saving source of income for me, actually. Given the fact that I can't just hop on a tour like I used to, there's not as much studio work happening. There's not as many local gigs happening, but I can teach a lot. I can teach lessons and that's been pretty helpful. Teaching lessons, hanging out with my daughters. My, my older daughter, Betty is about to turn 16 and we've been doing weekly driving lessons and she's getting pretty good at it. I was not prepared for the experience of getting in the car and having my daughter be behind the wheel and having just the wave of realization wash over me of how actually dangerous driving an automobile is. Good grief. I'm not saying that my daughter's getting good at driving because I'm trying to brag about how good my daughter is at driving. Rather, my own comfort level about letting my daughter get behind the wheel. The better she gets at driving, the more relaxed I am about her turning 16. I'm sure anybody with kids who's listening to this can relate. 2020 was hard. I learned a lot. I value the lessons. But, wow, they were hard lessons to learn. I'm looking forward to this year and every year after this. I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm happy to be me. I'm happy to be alive. I'm excited about the future. And I'm thinking a little differently about things after having learned what I learned in 2020. I'm thankful for my blossoming relationship with Misty. I'm thankful for music. I'm thankful for my daughters and for a peaceful and positive relationship with my ex-wife. I still play at the church a lot, uh, every weekend, basically. The church terminated my staff position, but they they didn't like kick me out of their community or anything. They still hire me on a contract basis to play on the play drums on the weekend for the services. Teaching a lot of lessons, feeling good. That's the update from my world. And I guess I'm using this as a a bit of a like a contextual foundation for everything that I say from here on out. I'm a middle-aged white man from Minnesota. I have a lot of resume credentials in the music industry as a professional drummer. But I'm also like the dude who's been divorced. I'm the dude who worked at a church and then got fired for ideological reasons. I'm the guy who, whose dad died suddenly and then when I had his car to drive around it, I lost the transmission and lost that vehicle suddenly. I'm the guy who lived for a little moment with the crazy cat lady and also had an opportunity to live in a pretty low-income housing section of Phoenix. 
I'm really thankful for all those lessons. Well, that brief 2020 summary was all I had planned for this first episode, but I don't want to wrap up without doing something music-related. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the music you've been hearing in the background on this episode. It's a band called Mass, M-A-S-S-S. Look it up on Spotify or Apple Music or Bandcamp. The album is called How I Killed a Bear. And it's me playing drums, my friend Jasper Nephew on guitar, and our friend Matt Patrick playing bass and other toys, and he recorded the record. That band existed for approximately three days total. We recorded the album in a day and a half. We spent a day rehearsing, and we spent an evening playing one gig. <laughs> uh, it started on tour with Owl City in the fall of 2012. Jasper and I were both in that band at the same time. And every night at Soundcheck, every afternoon at Soundcheck, he and I would be on stage just kind of tooling around, waiting for Soundcheck to get officially started. And he would come up with something so cool on the guitar. He's such a unique and creative thinker. It's one thing to have a lot of facility on the, on the instrument, but he looks at it differently than other guitar players I know. Every day at Soundcheck, he would be playing something that just sounded so compelling and inspiring. I would start to play along with him, and really quickly we would come up with something together that felt like a lot of fun. And at one point he was kind of lamenting the fact that we were never recording any of it. He's like, these are such cool ideas, we're not, we're not capturing them. And I said, let's go into a studio someday and just make up ideas like this. It doesn't seem like it's very challenging for either of us to do that. It feels really natural. We do it every day at Soundcheck. Stuff just kind of comes out of nowhere. So that's exa exactly what we did. On January 2nd and 3rd of 2013, we went into the library studio in Minneapolis. Matt Patrick is the owner and engineer in that studio. We were just going to record ideas and Matt was like, hey, can I play too? <laughs> like, sure, what do you want to play? Like, Probably bass, but I mean, Matt plays everything. And then what happened was we spontaneously improvised an entire album's worth of material. Some of the songs happened completely out of the blue, and the take that's on the record is an unedited take of what we actually played. Other songs, we would stumble onto an idea and then go back and kind of change a couple of things and work on it for a few minutes, a few run-throughs, and then record what ended up on the album. I'm really proud of it, and not many people even know about it, because we didn't spend much time promoting the record, and we only played one show uh, like two years later when the album came out. Check it out. How I Killed a Bear by Mass.
Okay, one more thing. Thank you for listening to this. If you'd like to reach me, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, at Steve Gould. My last name has two O's, G-O-O-L-D, not the more common G-O-U-L-D. That one really threw a lot of my grade school teachers. You can also find me on Patreon, YouTube, or you can just email me, gouldsteve at gmail.com, last name, first name, at gmail. I'm having a lot of fun with this podcast stuff. Please tune in to more episodes in the future. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Thanks. The Steve.